Before we jump into our episode today, I'd like to refer all the listeners over to not only our interview today um, with Kevin Ordonez, but last month, our interview with John Poulter from the American Medical Technologists. Please take some time and go listen to those podcasts. John and I will be presenting at Solutions Day, which is a .org community event that is taking place November 10th. They're both in-person and virtual access, so please take a look. Hop on the website, go to orgcommunity.com slash solutions day and see what they have planned for the day. Now, on to the episode and enjoy the interview. This is Managing E-Learning with Dr. John Allison and Matt Herpold. Welcome to Managing E-Learning. I am happy to introduce a lifelong entrepreneur, promoter of new technology, the owner and founder of .org Community, Kevin Ordonez. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. Great to have you, Kevin. We've known each other for a number of years, and I know that you've been in the association space uh, and association technology for many years. Can you give us a quick history, a quick summary of your background? Yeah, sure, John. Thanks for the great question. So I've been servicing the associations, trade orgs, professional societies, not-for-profits now for probably 30 years in all different capacities. First as a consultant in the D.C. area, where most of my clients were associations. And then I actually worked for a large trade organization in the D.C. area. And then just through my workings with those clients and understanding some of the common challenges and gaps, I started a, uh, an AMS company and ran that for uh, a number of years and, and finally sold that and thought I could get back to uh, things I love to do, like spending time with my family and golf and all that. But my handicap wasn't that great. So I uh, went back to the uh, consulting world. For a number of years, I've known my business partner, Sherry Budziak, and I think it was in 2009, we merged my consulting company with, with her group to form .org Source, and we focus 100% on associations and helping them with their business strategy, their technology strategies, and also oversee major implementations and digital transformations for those customers. So it's been fun ride uh, being on all sides of the fence of Working at a large trade organization, uh, being a consultant, as well as a uh, provider of technology. That's great. And, and quick note about the golf. It, it's not about the number. It's about the state of mind. That, that, that's <laughs> right. all that matters for that. So as long as you're enjoying it. You mentioned Sherry. So you guys do have two organizations that you run and manage together. Org source and org community. Can you explain a little bit of the differences between the two? Yeah, sure. And actually, there's three, and I'll oh, get into to all of that. So, dot <laughs> org source is our consulting firm. Dot org community is really a community of association execs who are interested in uh, learning more about where the future is going. Uh, they're interested in getting um, making connections that count and also hearing from their colleagues and software providers like you guys of what solutions you're providing to some of the common challenges they, they share. And then our third one is uh, .org Freelancer. And as that name implies, um, it's really just a, a platform where Freelancers can connect with opportunities offered by 
associations and not-for-profits. So if they have a short-term gig, there's a, a pool of freelancers that people can search for and, and hire for a, a short-term engagement. But the commonality of all those entities is that it helps and supports those organizations that are not-for-profit, that are associations, that are professional societies and trade orgs. So that's where our expertise lies and all of our connection lies. So, And we see that there's different gaps with the consulting, the community, and the freelancer that we're trying to fill. So about almost about seven years ago now, uh, Sherry and I formed .org Community because we would talk to a lot of our clients uh, through the day or even they would... Uh, touch base with us in the evening or on a ride home or whatever that may be. And there was this common theme of, oh, I need to know about who's doing something in HR or who's doing something in the e-learning space or who's doing something with new tech or marketing. And it seemed like a lot of these execs just didn't have either the right connections or awareness of what was going on. And so after hearing a lot of this, we said, well, let's just form a kind of an online platform that people can connect and, and ask these things. And so we actually did that back in, um, I think it was 2007. And it really didn't take off. You know, it was one of those things where we thought, oh, if we build it, they will come. But what we realized that those folks really wanted those in-person connections in a very intimate a safe environment where they can actually talk to their colleagues about what they were facing, you know, their current challenges and issues. And, you know, these CEOs, uh, most of them really can't talk to their family members because they, they don't understand the business. They're certainly not going to talk to their boards and they're not going to talk to some of their staff because there may be some challenges there that they're trying to, uh, to overcome. So we provided this community of association execs who you know, they had their CAEs, they've been in, you know, their role for a number of years, they, they, they're, they're leaders, and they were just looking for other colleagues that they can share connections with, ideas, education. And so that, it kind of took off from there. So, you know, now we're doing our um, sixth solutions day, which is going to be in person, you know, on November 10th. We'll have a lot of great thought leadership provided by our partners out there who provide all sorts of solutions to the community. And the execs, they will also have an opportunity to uh, connect, or in this case, reconnect with each other, since it might've been a while for them to be um, in person. This is more of, okay, they already know about the association community, and now they wanna find other leadership uh, connections. Yeah, congratulations, Kevin. You've done an outstanding job of bringing community together and very successful. Um, did you think that was, was there a gap in Chicago for a need for this? And, and why don't you think the Association Forum filled that? I, th I think Association Forum does a good job of introducing uh, professionals who may not be aware of what the uh, goals and mission of a association are, how they operate, you know, decision by committee and maybe even the sales cycle for, for some of the uh, providers out there. But what, what the gap we were hearing was there wasn't education at that level uh, for the exec, education for what is the future of jobs? What does the future of the workforce look like? How do you um, embrace technology as part of your strategic plan? And so we just started providing that kind of education and content and, and people started gravitating you know, to our 
in-person conferences to our you know webinars to our online meetings and to our you know content on our on our website so I, I think there's there's space for for us for ASAE and, and others out there you know the the great late John Graham you know when we used to talk all the time and uh, he was fully supportive of dot org community because he, he viewed us as a as a very uh, special interest group um, at the exec level and that's how I think he also explained to some of his leadership and staff that we weren't coming and trying to take over like an ASA or anything like that. That was certainly not our, our goal or mission or purpose at all, but just to provide some other connections and learning opportunities at that level. Not even just that, but an opportunity for like-minded people to collaborate and really talk about things on an even level. Um, not something very often that people have and I think our industry in general being the not-for-profit. So kudos to that. I always hear positive thoughts when it's people having that chance to kind of let loose, have that trusted group to talk with. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the ingredients to our secret sauce, trust environment that people can kind of open up a little bit and, and really get to the core of their challenges and understand what the solutions could be. Getting back to technology a bit, what do you think is the greatest need that associations are facing? So we get asked that a lot by some of our uh, clients we work with on the consulting side is, you know, where is technology or is it a force? Is it a tool? Where does that lay? But really, technology is just one piece of, I think, some of the uh, solution or even challenge or opportunity out there. It's really the alignment of, of four main things, and that's uh, people, process, culture, and technology. If those things aren't in alignment, organizations are going to be experiencing different symptoms with their business, right? It could be declining renewals, it could be flat product sales, it could be, you know, registrations down compared, you know, this year to last year, but those are all symptoms of a bigger problem. And usually what we just find out is that that challenge or opportunity is that alignment of people, process, culture, and technology. So that's not an alignment, then organizations are going to start seeing some of these other symptoms popping up either in their online experience, not able to find the right education uh, you know, the members are searching for or that, or that deliverability of that um, content. Looking at the vendor side right now, there's been uh, in the association tech stack, there's been quite a bit of consolidation. How do you think that's impacted associations and, and you know, achieving their goals? Uh, they're looking at a lot less vendors, uh, this consolidation on the vendor side. You know, that's a, some great, great foresight there. And, you know, there is a lot of that consolidation happening. It's been happening for a while now. I think initially from the association perspective, they see that as a good thing, especially if an association is using several products now owned under the same umbrella. You know, it should be easy to go to a single point of contact. This should be more seamless, more robust integration among those products since they probably need to operate together, understand who a member, who a learner is and offer any discounts as, as, as a, an example. So that from the association perspective, they're looking at it as, oh, this should be a good thing for us because of all these reasons. I think where some of the challenges are is how do you actually consolidate and operate different cultures and processes and products under the same um, roof. And, and that, that's, a, that's a big challenge. 
sometimes that challenge kind of seeps through the seams of the new entity and it lands back on the clients or the associations in the form of things seem to be more expensive, things seem to be more delayed, where there should be a better integration, maybe there, there isn't. And I think maybe underneath that, you know, giant entity now, those product or business units may still be operating independently. And so of course there's communication barriers uh, and things of that nature. So I, when people hear they got, someone got bought out or now part of a bigger entity, there's always that pause of, well, what does that mean for me as, as the association client? And I, like I said, I think some of them think it's a, it's a good thing just because of the, the consolidation um, effect. But when they're in that implementation or experience, um, they could be experiencing some of these challenges firsthand. On a personal level, I know that you had your AMS, your, you know, your baby. Are these, are these groups that are consolidating multiple AMSs, association management systems, are, are you seeing them drop uh, platforms? You know, how's your baby doing? Yeah, sure. So, so my baby's still doing really well. It's it's uh, it's it's on its next generation of uh, of deployment, and you know everything's in the cloud and all those great things, and also getting attention from different uh, technology advancements of if, if it's artificial intelligence or machine learning, or um, you know being part of a bigger maybe data lake or data warehouse system. That that's also all good. But I haven't seen product lines being dropped, so to speak. I think they're all trying to um, enhance the future set. The potential integrations, you know, are expanding. So, so far, so good. But, you know, eventually, you know, you have to think, you know, how can a company still be doing lots of R&D and funding on a wide variety of different, different platforms that at one time were competing against each other? So, I think time will tell, but it'll be really interesting. And then also there's that concept of, you know, there's a, there's a price point and feature set point for different association, even an association of, of just volunteers versus you're an association of a few hundred staff. Uh, there's probably different solutions uh, depending on your, your size and scope. So, you know, from that strategy, I think it's good that some of these larger companies do have an offering that covers, you know, the association run by strictly volunteers to associations that have several hundred staff and, and offices, you know, around the world. For the listeners, do you mind sharing who your baby is just so they can have context to um, what the AMS was? Yeah, sure. So uh, some of you might be familiar with uh, NetForum uh, that was out there for a couple decades now. <laughs> and so that has... Uh, you know, it took off in the early days and uh, it's still being enhanced and modified uh, to be delivered to all or different sizes of organizations. So I'm really happy to see that that's still growing and still have, you know, plenty of customers on that, on that platform. We have plenty of customers still using the platform, so can confirm that it's still live and kicking. Can you share a little bit of how .org source, .org community, how the engagement has changed since the pandemic? changed everything. So obviously it has to have some impacts on you guys as well. You know, from the .org source and the consulting business, you know, last uh, spring in 2020, like most organizations, we took a, a, a little pause there with, with activity. 
which, which is probably fine. You know, everyone needed to uh, pivot to online and really make some hard decisions. But at the same time, on the daughter community side, we totally ramped up and uh, we used to have uh, a monthly webinar series called 30 on Thursday. And for 2020, we were going to reduce those to maybe once a quarter, just because we wanted more participants on a webinar. After March of 2020, uh, we started doing weekly webinars and sometimes uh, twice a week with all sorts of partners and association execs on a variety of topics from, you know, and everything from, uh, you know, how do you handle this from a PR position to how do you make decisions? Our um, audience increased tremendously, probably be almost tenfold on all the different, you know, online uh, webinars that we did uh, last spring. And we did that through the remaining of, of 2020. And it was very successful just from a, an engagement and awareness uh, on the .org community side. Our, um, you know, partners and supporters also increased. So earlier this year, you know, we sold out for our uh, Solutions Day um, that's coming up in this fall um, by February, where in the past uh, we had open spots right up to the uh, day before. It's just amazing how things, you know, maybe took a, a brief pause, but then everything kind of came back uh, full so, steam. Yeah, so things are good for you. What have you seen? I mean, it's we're going to, you know, we really had two years here of, of virtual virtual conferences. And, and you know, that, that face-to-face conference was a big moneymaker for associations. Are you seeing any associations having some cash flow crunches, having to move, you know, look into their reserves and things like that? Yeah, so we've seen actually uh, both sides of that. We've seen organizations that did lose a, a lot of uh, revenue because the in-person conference was a majority of their revenue pie. And so they had to do things differently, try conferences in a different way. And then we've seen other organizations where they took full advantage of the uh, virtual effect and are making much more revenue now because now they can do things all virtually in all parts of the uh, country and the world where before they were limited to, you know, one, one physical space and a, a week somewhere that everyone had to uh, come to. So I think organizations, we've seen organizations have both have lost some of that revenue. And then we've seen organizations that also have gained uh, because of the virtual impact. The virtual impact is very real, which opened a lot of opportunities, risks along the way. What were some of the common conversations when you were consulting different associations for minimizing those gaps or taking advantage of the advantages or opportunities there? Yeah, I think there was a common theme of um, the virtual option or component will probably continue with associations uh, moving forward. Um, I think they've realized that they were able to capture audience that they would not have if they strictly did an in-person event or conference. So I think the virtual components are always going to be an, an, some option for organizations moving forward. And I think it also, we've seen organizations can pivot. I know that's been a big phrase over the last 18 months, and I'm sure some of our listeners are tired of hearing that phrase, but <laughs> it's really, it's the reality. And most of you know our customers and members have been successfully able to pivot, whether that's to the virtual, like everyone did, or creating other 
business lines or product opportunities. I, I think they were able all to to figure that out and really deliver and keep delivering on the on the value that their members and stakeholders uh, come to expect. One of the things that we've seen is the um, the conference team and the education team working together on these virtual meetings, uh, more so than maybe they have in the past, because I, I think you would agree there's silos in many organizations. So what are we going to see any kind of change going forward in terms of the silos or versus working together and the importance of education as part of the whatever conference, whether it's live or virtual? Yeah, so certainly I agree with you, John, that a lot of organizations are still very siloed, particularly in the education, conference, marketing, IT realm. Sometimes they almost operate as different companies sometimes, but certainly, you know, the this change and switch to virtual and everyone working from home and getting making sure everyone's working more collaboratively has opened uh, some eyes and ears to uh, different departments that you really have to work in unison and collaborate together um, in understanding what the the goal is for everyone. You know, seeing firsthand how when organizations did move all to online uh, conferences and events and more delivering of the online education, all those uh, departments had to work more closely together. And Certainly, there were there were some times where I didn't know if, if they could actually pull it off because of the you know different uh, perspectives, personalities, and people just said, "I've never worked with this person before." But what was great was they had leaders in there who kind of set the stage of, "Look, our goals are here. You know, this is our mission. You know, just kind of putting that out in front of everyone and ha- everyone having that opportunity to contribute to the success." And achieving those goals, I think, really kind of rallied the troops and um, brought that collaboration really into high gear, pull off a lot of these giant virtual conferences now that we're seeing, you know, really taking a leap of faith on uh, technology platforms that people haven't even heard of. And now that they're using it as kind of this is our delivery system or organizations who you know, may do three or four of these a year and use different ones for each one because they're confident that the staff can come together and make sure the alignment, like I said earlier, of the the, uh, the people and the process and the culture technology are all aligned uh, against the same goal and, and see it um, be pulled off very successfully. It, it was interesting early on, some of the difficulties from these different silo departments, finding the common priorities. Typically when people are meeting in person, everybody has their, their role or their tasks they have to take care of for their event. When it went virtual, suddenly everybody has to get on the same page and operate in sync. Um, so it it was really interesting. So when you say you get aligned and make sure communication, common goals, it's, couldn't be truer is really what I'm trying to say. Yep. Yep. I feel um, like the, the transparency just over the last 20 months has been, I think, um, very helpful with these organizations because you couldn't just, you know, not, not attend a meeting or something because mm-hmm. they, they well, you should be able to attend because it's online. There's, there should be yeah, no tough to get stuck in traffic when you're yeah, in your living that, room. That's so. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, any current projects that you guys are working, anything interesting, fun to share? So lately we've been doing a lot of, um, you know, digital transformation projects. Mm-hmm. We've been doing those kind of projects now for for 16 years, but it it always begins with, okay, you know, we're experiencing, you know, fill in the blank with one of those symptoms, right? Uh, our 
uh, low renewals, uh, you know, our education products are not selling as they should. And when we start talking to staff, it's, it goes back to that alignment of those, those four, four things. Some of this stuff is very easy to, ad to address right away, where a lot of organizations think they need a whole new technology stack. And really all they really need to do is tweak a couple dials here and there or open up the communications and they'll start seeing, you know, some, some positive movement in the right direction. And a lot of times, you know, we come in to uh, interview staff or, or talk to them. It's almost like we're their therapist, right? Because there's a lot going on. There was, you know, people are under stress uh, from all sorts of areas and, and whether it's professional or personal, but Sometimes they view us as that therapist where just to have someone listen to, to them and to say, yes, we, we hear you, we understand where you're coming from, and this are some things we can do right away. So it's not a, uh, a technology, new shiny thing out there. I think it's more of listening to your staff and to your members and to really have them be heard. What you do with that, I think, is going to make the big difference. I've always been curious about how you, uh, I mean, you've got a great, great business model with the three organizations, but how do, how do you manage any conflicts of interest between the, the organizations that you run? We have staff on both sides that, you know, they're focused on that particular business unit. And so that helps us isolate any potential conflict that may come up, especially when you know, if we're in a, uh, a situation where someone's looking for a new system, but they also want to, you know, sponsor lunch or something at our conference. Typically, we handle those conversations completely separate by, by different people. And most of the time, the other person doesn't know what's going on with, you know, a particular, you know, uh, selection process or, or who was sponsoring lunch or, or the reception or something like that. So we, we try to you know, isolate those conversations as much as we can. So people involved feel that we're committed to them from both as a consultant, as well as, you know, providing them an opportunity to get in front of customers and their uh, prospects out there. With solution stages coming up right around the corner, excited to be down there, excited to see people in person. Do you have any other large events, anything coming up 2022 that we can pitch, share with people? Maybe they can search on Google or online right away? Yeah, sure. So uh, Solutions Day on November 10th of, of this year, 2021. And then uh, we plan on doing our other signature event, uh, which is our Innovation Summit, probably in the uh, springtime of uh, 2022. You know, these in-person events are great. You know, people get to reconnect with their colleagues and their providers and, and technology partners, which is great to see. And then We'll always have some type of uh, webinars or online education. Uh, we've been doing those uh, monthly. So our website at .orgcommunity.com has a whole schedule of upcoming events uh, between now and uh, next spring. Are you pretty confident? I mean, I know that a number of groups have, you know, are still remaining virtual. Are you pretty confident you're going to get good attendance in person in November? And, you know, what... What is the, the basic feeling in Chicago there about in-person events? So I, I think right now it's all about the timing. You know, November 10th seems to be in a window where we're just, you know, from a worldwide wave of, of cases are, are going way down all over the place, um, you know, from the summer surge. 
But, you know, I think people want to, you know, get out of the house, their apartment and, you know, make those connections because they know that those con- they rely on those connections for for moving forward and to contribute to the success of their organization. So I think it's a it's a timing thing. And I, we believe that we have a window of opportunity in that early November where, you know, we're coming off this surge of cases. Um, the weather is still going to be OK. And before we get into the winter, because, you know, winter also holds, you know, potential for the flu and cold season like we always go through. And so I think all organizations are looking at, you know, when they're doing in person, they're probably looking at what are those windows of opportunity to get people, you know, out of the house before, you know, the winter comes and there's other, you know, cold cases out there, whatever else may be looming for us um, in the winter of 22. Yeah, this this is kind of a paradox out there. I mean, this weekend there'll be um, thousands of people at the Bears-Packer game in Chicago and and uh, interfacing, and um, that's pretty much nationwide. Sports sports is off to a great uh, a great season. But what do you what do you hear association executives saying about the first quarter? Are, are they are they scheduling majority of them scheduling in person, or are they holding off making that decision? So some of them are wanting to get back to in-person because some of their members are like, you know, we miss our colleagues. As like you said, John, it's been about two years now, but I think they have all all the organizations have to be really smart about this. Um, And that's why that online option is probably not going to go away anytime soon. I think organizations can also, you know, present opportunities for in-person as well as online and they can get the, you know, similar benefit from it. And then, you know, organizations are also know that they may have to change at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they're doing a in-person conference in, in March and they, you know, everyone's monitoring what's happening in the world. And if they need to go 100% virtual, they will. And we've seen clients who were planning on an in-person in, um, you know, call it early September, but they know it wasn't the right or the smart move. So they went 100% virtual. And guess what? <laughs> Everyone was used to it and all their audience was saying, okay, well, we'll just go online instead. So I, th- I think over the last 24 months or so, everyone's been sensitized to, okay, well, uh, you know, next week may be fine, but the week after that, it may not be. So I think everyone's also uh, attuned to, you know, what's happening in the world and just to do the smart thing. And I think people appreciate that. So can you just address some of the technology technology changes that happened and how it how it's going to impact education going forward as far as online. I think every organization now realizes that their online education could potentially be a great revenue center. Understanding what their learners are looking for and needing and wanting is going to be key to their online business plans. Uh, so you think about topics like micro learning. Well, now a lot of people fully appreciate what that means and what that needs to look like. Same with micro credentialing, right? Um, badging, all those different things that we've been talking about for a number of years. And in, when you mention that to an organization, they, they just shake their head like, yeah, we need those three things. But they really didn't appreciate what those three things really mean. I think net today, now, they fully appreciate and understand how micro learning can be a part of their business plan, how micro credentialing could be a part of their business plan. And then what does the badging mean to me as a learner, as I present my 
badges of accomplishments in the online worlds of either LinkedIn and, and, and other platforms like there. So there's, I think those these last uh, 20, 24 months have really helped that education of understanding why those three things are important and why they should be part of your, your online education business plan and making sure you, you partner with someone that not only understands those items, but can have a history of delivering that and being successful with their, with their client. I heard, I heard an association leader say, you know, we used to have trouble getting a teleconference together, but here we are now all looking face-to-face at each other using webcams. Can you talk a little bit about that phenomenon? You know, there was that struggle early on about, you know, do I put my video camera on or I take it off? But nowadays, I think everyone is used to or have come to a custom or even require that if you're on a call or a video call that your video should be on unless you're having technical difficulties. Because uh, I think people want to see who they're talking to uh, and where they are, what they look like, or uh, if they have a fun background or something, it also helps to, you know, break the ice. You know, sometimes people say, Oh, Kevin, your background, is that like your, your office backyard or something like that? And I say, Oh no, this is just, you know, a copy of Microsoft's headquarters. Um, but there's different things where people have, you know, different backgrounds or, you know, it could be an icebreaker if you're, you know, getting a meeting together where people haven't met before. But I think when people turn off their cameras, people might ask them, Hey, can you turn it on? So, mm-hmm. uh, and it's easy now with all the technology, uh, you know, one click, you know, you're on, whether it's on your laptop or desktop or phone or iPad or tablet. I think these, you know, video conferencing companies are making it easier for everyone to try to connect and um, not struggle with dialing in and connecting and hitting the pound key and your password and this and that. So kudos to them for making it easier for, for everyone who is running from Zoom to other right. meetings uh, back to back. And and what's that afford online learning in the future? So I think everyone's experiencing that it's easy to use, easy to participate in. And also it kind of raises the bar a little bit for those online education delivery systems. It has to be that easy, right? And I think everybody also knows that when you talk about the micro learning or micro credential, it's very hard to sit on a Zoom meeting for more than 60 minutes because uh, you get the burnout quick. So everyone's now is used to let's deliver the content right away. Let's not drag it out. They're going to get benefit. Um, and then also introduce other ways to engage that learn, right? There's video, there's gamification, uh, there's pre and post tests. So there's a lot of different ways now that you can introduce other ways to engage that learner and, and test, you know, did they actually pick up uh, what we intended to have them learn? The, the other impact that all of these virtual, whether it be sessions, meetings, Zoom meetings, it's made it so much easier to reuse content now. You're recording everything. It's all available. You can repackage, reuse, and you don't have to spend all the time recording in person as well. I always... I always just hope that everybody's leveraging that for easy content at the fingertips because people are always looking for it. Um, yeah, repurposing content. I mm-hmm. think organizations now are getting smart about, oh, we can just record it and reuse it X times as I need, right? A mm-hmm. podcast like this one could be a podcast. Or it could be a short video series. It could be part of a video series. And you could keep repurposing it and um, almost have a evergreen shelf life um, with you know one effort well 
Kevin, we really, really appreciate your time. Again, we encourage everybody to go on all three of the sites. Take a look at all the offerings Kevin and Sherry have for you. That is .org freelancer, .org source, and .org community. Again, really appreciate the time. No, thanks, thanks Matt. Thanks, John. It's, it's been wonderful uh, having this conversation and look forward to um, others. That Thank was you. Kevin Ordonez. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.